to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. Well, we are going to be um, starting into chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. Um, We're going to be looking at the first 10 verses. So if you want to turn in your device or your Bible, uh, your hardcover Bible, or we're going to also have the... um, Scriptures up on the screen. And while you're turning there, I did want to remind you that we uh, do have these books on that back table. It's uh, Paul David Tripp's new Advent uh, devotional. And so Advent just, again, meaning coming, uh, the, the coming of the Lord. And so um, uh, we got these for the church body. So if, if each couple, each family, each individual, um, if, it's, if you're a couple or a family, just take one. Uh, but I bought seven. Enough to cover everyone here, and so if you're if you're coming regularly, um, you don't have to have a name on a list or anything. But we'd love for you to have this as a gift, and it's just 31 days of of kind of a directed uh, reading guide for um, the um, devotions through the Advent season. So uh, Paul David Tripp, um, I use his, and several people in here use his. Um, New Morning Mercies, um, his kind of daily devotional. So it's a great book also. But when they come out with this, it's called Come, Let Us Adore Him. And so if you've never done 31 Days of Advent where you're thinking about Jesus' first coming, what he came for, and the very purposes for that, to seek and save, that was which was lost, to, to pay a propitiation for sins, to um, bring the forgiveness and atonement for sins, but also um, to bring us his teaching. To, to live the life he lived, the example, the healing, the miracles, but also the gospel story, that all of the Bible pointing to him, fulfilling all of that, living out the righteousness that we would live in in all eternity. And so that first coming, but now here we are, awaiting and anticipating his second coming. And sometimes, sometimes that's kind of put off. And so um, please, uh, those books, grab one of these books. It's on the back table back there if you don't have one. Um, just take that as a free gift for us. Um, so um, for, for you, from us. So um, we could kind of all be reading that together uh, through the month of December. It's kind of interesting. And so um, one of the things that he brings up in just the introduction, and, and as I read the introduction and the first couple of things online, it made me want to go ahead and get this one, um, is he, he brings up this idea of familiarity, that we're so familiar with Jesus and the story of Jesus, particularly in the Bible Belt, that it's easily not to be so thankful it's easily something that we take for granted, the things that he's done for us. It's easy to take for granted the things that, that we should be valuing and treasuring. And so if you know the story, you know the bullet points, yep, Jesus died on the cross, blah, 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 when's Black Friday? And, and sometimes that's the Christian life, right, uh, in, in our area, and it shouldn't be. And so he brings that up. So please take one of those books. Um, 
As we look into chapter 5, we're going to see some uh, interesting things um, that Paul's going to bring out. He's going to bring out um, some realities at the end of this. So, so we're going to go through some, some encouragement at the first of this, and then he gets kind of like real serious, just making you think about you know, what are you living for in verse 10. And then we're going to get into the next section next week, and then we'll go into our Advent season. We're actually going to take a um, first week of Advent. We're going to use part of chapter um, 5 um, at looking at the bigger picture of God is doing, why he came, and then we're going to use part of our Advent season um, looking at that specific ending section in, in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians and, and also tying in um, Jesus coming as the little baby, but also the whole purpose that he came, the beauty in that story of God. So I want to throw out there to, to you this question, just to think through this. Um, I do this uh, at the first of the year when I go through that series kind of on what matters most, um, but if you think through this question, um, 10 seconds into eternity. So we're going to see today, we're going to learn hopefully a little bit about what, what happens right after death. 10 seconds into eternity, that next waking conscious moment, you're probably going to realize five seconds in, 10 seconds in, what you could have been living for, right? 10 seconds into eternity, Whatever your mind, which we can't, God has said, we can't even fathom what that's going to be like. I mean, it's going to be just, but it is going to be this overwhelming, uh, what if I had lived just a little bit more? What if, I, what if I really did think about my neighbors? Like, this is so real and true. Ah. Uh, what if I hadn't looked at quiet times or devotional times as this rigorous, you know, marine-like thing that I have to, oh gosh, it's like pass and fail, pass and fail. Like it was enjoying him and the spirit would have enabled me to enjoy that more and see more of that on that earth while we were there. Like 10 seconds into eternity, what will you be thinking then? Um, you'll realize what life was all about. And we know this, right? Uh, like we know in our heads what life is supposed to be about. If you're in this room, you probably know that you're, you're supposed to be, you know, loving the Lord and, and loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and, and loving neighbors and loving one another. But, but we really struggle sometimes with those things and life kind of takes over and we get just in the mundane minutia of life and we, we forget about what matters most. So that question, 10 seconds into eternity, if you can think through that every month a few times, like that's what matters most. It, it helps in little things like maybe you're in a, in a marital argument. It, it really doesn't matter that he hurt my feelings, that she hurt my feelings, that, that we disagreed on which restaurant. Well, man, I've got a wonderful wife, wonderful family. It doesn't matter on those things. Things going on uh, at your workplace, 10 seconds into eternity, what matters most? So that's why we keep those questions before us. We, we're so distracted by self and sin. And so I have those questions that we keep up each week. Um, uh, how can I be captivated by Jesus of the cross when I'm obsessed with pride and self-seeking and comfort? And then what implications does that have, does that truth have on me loving Christ and making him known to others? We're so distracted by self 
and sin that, that we're not thinking about 10 seconds into eternity. So whether I, I choose selfishly to pursue my own glory through the love of money or comfort or entertainment or laziness, those are all my favorites, um, fear of others, greedy gain, respect from others, working hard at either legalism or licentious pursuits, 10 seconds into eternity, we will immediately see his glory and wonder why we didn't live di- differently. Many of us are going to realize that. And Paul's going to talk about that, that, that judgment that's going to come upon that. Um, so continuing in the flow from last week, um, I told you last week that that section going into chapter 5, it actually could have been a, a longer chapter 4, or chapter 4 could have started earlier, and, 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 or chapter 5 could have started earlier because Paul lays out these truths, and he has all these four statements, four statements. In the Greek, it's very clear that he has these. And so continuing the same thought in the flow from last week, we do not lose heart what Paul's been saying in chapter 4 because God is renewing all things. And we saw that he's renewing us as we live on the earth. So if you remember, in chapter uh, 4, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed. So so you may have woke up this week thinking, man, my outer self is really wasting away. Like it could be your physical body. I'm getting to that age where when I see people in Walmart and I get frustrated and they're walking slow and I'm like, oh, which leg? Why aren't they moving faster with their cart? I'm like, oh, he's 72 with like a prosthetic leg. That's why. And and I used to think like, oh man, he should have ran more. He should have been more, you know, just stayed in shape better. No, no, you get my age, you start going like, something could happen and I could be there quickly. Like I could be that guy that, that just holding up the line or just walking slowly. So when you look at older people, be gracious because you're headed there. Like you may think that, no, you're going to be more in shape and you're, you're not in control of all those factors. And so we like to think we are. And so just remember that uh, you're headed there. So we are wasting away. Our inner self though is being renewed. So take heart. Um, there is going to be a point where that stops. Your body getting older, your, your, your face getting more wrinkles. Uh, it seems like every week I have another, another thing that pops up on me that's like potential skin cancer or something. So I'm just like, well, I wonder if that one's going to be the, the big one. And so um, second, secondly, God is renewing us for a future glory. He's not only renewing us as we're here on the earth, our outer self wasting away, our inner self being renewed, and that should bring us hope. But also, there's a future ultimate renewal. And he's kind of going into that in, in chapter 5. It's beyond all comparison. If you remember last week, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You, you can't even compare it. You don't even know what it's going to be like. And so this week, same, with that same theme, God is renewing all things. We do not lose heart because Paul goes into, if he is renewing our inner self, and he is working on this future renewal project in us. Well, now Paul goes into, let me explain a little bit about what happens when you die. You're going to have immortal bodies. So he goes into this illustration about what is temporary here on earth, our bodies, specifically our bodies, not our soul spirit, but, but our bodies. And he's, he's talking to them about this aspect of your, your temporary life here on earth, this body that we live in compared to the imperishable. And so we're going to see that this week. So let's read there in chapter five, second Corinthians one through 10. For we know that if the tent, and, and so now that remember that word for, he's still connecting to that idea. God is renewing all things. And he's speaking about these, we're thinking about the things that are unseen instead of the things that are seen. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands that's eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. 
if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yet we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. So, Father, we ask for you to um, give us understanding. Holy Spirit, would you come and renew our minds in truth? Would you give us guidance? Would you give us comfort? Our hearts may be convicted as a gift from you. Uh, We may need to confess that sin to you as a gift that you've brought us to that point, um, that we would have repentance and we would have confession of sin and that you would bring renewal that would lead us to resting in the finished work of Christ. The, the work that we just read here, that, that God is preparing us, that he's completing this work in us, would you continue that process that we would rejoice and worship you more? In your name we pray, amen. So Paul is laying out here this idea of, of contrasting those light afflictions with an eternal glory. So remember in chapter four, those light and momentary afflictions with an eternal weight of glory that's gonna be so much greater than what we could imagine. And he also is contrasting our outer self wasting away with our inner self being renewed. And now he's going into this idea of these temporary things that are seen and the eternal things that are not seen. And now he's, he's trying to, what he's about to bring in chapter five is you, your life on this earth, you're ambassadors for Christ. It's crazy, but God has given you the message of reconciliation. Look at your lives, Corinthians. And remember what he's doing here. He's going, there's this switch that's going on right now with him. You guys really weren't listening to me earlier. You didn't view my words as important. But I've reminded you, if there's been any change in your life, if you've been saved, that was God using my life that was saved. The light come to me, and then I came and shared the light with you. It's shown in our hearts to bring the light of the, the glory of God in the face of Christ. Remember that, Corinthians? Like me, even going through suffering, which you've despised me, you've looked down on me as not being a person of God because of the sufferings I've gone through, you should be ambassadors for Christ. It's a crazy story that, that God allowed Christ to absorb our wrath so that he would give us reconciliation and that you're ministers of that, Corinthians. And guess what? The Corinthians hopefully are going, oh, maybe Paul does have a message here. So he's switching that little theme. And now he's bringing up to them some very big issues of this is your very life. This is your very salvation. Shouldn't you be living this way? And so in all this, Paul's building this story, building these images together to get the Corinthians to see that they are ambassadors for Christ. Yes, God is saving us. Yes, God is going to give you resurrected bodies like that of Christ. But the good news that came to you, it's supposed to be on its way to others also. Your life should be shining the light of the gospel to others in, in gospel works, in gospel word. It should be clarifying and proclaiming the gospel. The significance of that is your salvation is incredible. Your salvation is so significant. 
But I think this is where us in the Bible Belt, we, we jump off right there. It's just that. Your salvation. And we're not concerned about the, the community around us. We're not even thinking about the people that are lost, the wrath of God waiting on their heads. Because why? I'm saved. Your salvation. We're good. Doesn't matter. It's not just your salvation that Paul's trying to make important. You've been redeemed into something, God's redemptive plan. And so on your, your life, it, it's just this little dot in God's whole redemptive plan that he's, he's wanting to use your life for his greater glory and for the good of others and their souls. So this, this speaks of this doctrine of glorification. Uh, like if you get into the technical terms here, when, when Paul's talking here, this is the doctrine of glorification. So, so many people, I don't put these together. So Justification. Remember the, the courtroom word, justified. Judge has his gavel, slams it down, bam, you are not guilty. Why not? Because I, did, I broke every rule. Because Jesus paid for your sins. You are justified in the blood of Christ. Justification has happened to you. You've been justified. Now, that's a one-time event. And it was a one-time event based on Christ. It wasn't even based on the, the day that you made that decision. It was applied to you. And so you're, get, you're, you're getting saved or asking Jesus into your heart, which or whatever thing that you did. Um, so that is, you're justified. Then the work ongoing in your life is sanctification. And then the next work is glorification. We don't talk a lot about that, right? Like we don't know a lot about that. It was on purpose by God. He didn't want to tell us. We'd probably try to screw things up if he had told us, like, here's what it's going to be like. Here's the 10 things that you'll be doing. If we knew that, we'd probably like, in heaven, we're going to be doing these 10 things. I'm going to create a little circle and build fences in a community, and we're going to do the 10 things that we're doing. We would do that completely. Like, you would do it 30 minutes after we leave church the first time you heard that message. We'd be like, I'm doing it. And we can make money doing it also. T-shirts, mugs, let's sell it tomorrow. And so we would be doing that. Thankfully, he just left it blank. It's like raising kids. Just like, don't let them catch on fire. Don't let them drown. Just figure it out. Be graceful. Bring the truth of them. Teach them the gospel. And just the rest of it's going to be tough. And it's like marriage. Same thing. If, if he had given us a direct things like, husbands, do these 10 things with your wife each month. You would fail miserably. You would be horrible at it. Or you would be the guy wanting the trophy every week and in performance to God. And so thankfully, he just says, hey, glorification, not going to tell you very much about that. You, you, you're you going to try to screw it up. And so I'm going to do the work. So the depth of beauty here, I want you to see this. We, we look past this. God is renewing all things in this place. So we're given a new spirit. We're born from above as lowly sinful humans in this fallen world. Yet even though we're filled with sin and pain and suffering and atrocities and horrible crimes, this whole place, yet God is loving us more than we could fathom. Just look at the news. Look, click on the news and see what's going on. And, and whatever person has done that, whatever, whatever political side, both sides, liberals, conservatives, moderates, whatever, God has incredible love for each one of those souls. Why? You hate them. We hate them. We pick the ones that we hate, even as Christians. And he's going, I love you. I love you. I love you. I, I killed my son. I slaughtered my son on your behalf. Horrible atrocities happening all over the world. And God having the kind of love and grace that can overcome. No, no, no matter how high the sin, the tidal wave of God's grace flooding, just being lavished upon people. 
It's a beautiful thing. And in all of that, and tied to that, God's renewing all things in this future glory. Tied into that, God's renewing all things, recreating our bodies, this new resurrected body. So Paul's using this term tent. Uh, he's just borrowing from an idea. And so you know that Paul was a tent maker, right? So can just, just think through Paul making tents somewhere. And probably what happened as he's sitting there you know, thinking through these meetings he's had with Jesus um, personally, and then... Um, then if he's making these tents and stuff going on, and it probably at some point, like, God used that as an illustration. Like, Paul, that, that, that's exactly what the, your whole life is like. It's this temporary dwelling. It, it's not reliable. It, it's not something you want to put your trust in. It, it, it's temporary. It's frail. It's weak. And Paul's going, man, that's it. Corinthians. Your life is like this temporary tent compared to this surpassing thing uh, that, that's, that's beautiful beyond description. And so notice what he does there in that, that first section there. The tent that is our earthly home is destroyed. If it's destroyed, we have a building from God. So notice I had some, some things on there. Uh, the, the slide got all messed up. So it's uh, supposed to have those things. Uh, I don't know what happened there. Um, the, it's supposed to have the, the, the difference between those. And so here, the tent is temporary and earthly. It's our, it's, it's our body here on this earth. It's, it's kind of what we know as home, but it's only a temporary thing. So Paul's reminding us we are sojourners here. This life is a temporary place. Um, the building from God, he contrasts that with the building from God, which is eternal in the heavens. Look what, what he describes it there, eternal in the heavens. The tent is perishable. It's prone to destruction and death. The building from God, however, is imperishable never-ending life. And so great that he doesn't even tell us exactly what that's going to look like. We can't even fathom how great it's going to be. Like, again, I, I'm, I'm telling you, if I get to heaven and it's like, like, you know, on a scale of one to 10, like a three-star, like, you know, Cancun trip, it's going to be like, oh man, this is not exactly what I was thinking. Like, oh, we can't fathom. It's going to blow you away. God's not going to be someone who's going to be criticized in heaven. Like, well, the elevators aren't working. The ice machine's broken and uh, the food's kind of really poor. Like it's not going to be those, those critiques on, on things where people are not happy. It's going to blow you away. And, and not just because of your selfish, like, I just want my dad and mom back. I want to go fishing with grandpa. Um, no guarantee there's fishing, right? I don't know. Uh, maybe if we can't suffer harm, maybe the hooks in fish's mouth, um, maybe that hurts fish. And in heaven, that won't happen. That's a little side trail. You haven't thought very deeply about that. I've spent hours, hundreds of hours thinking about that. So that's a gift. This tent, these groanings, these long, I'm joking, I didn't ever, that just come out. This tent, these groanings, these longing, these burden, notice in this thing, it's, 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 in, it's part of the perishable versus the building from God, satisfied. You know that one of the biggest things that everything that you're doing, whether that's relationships, your marriage, children, parenting, your job, entertainment, all the comfort, even sin, you're looking for satisfaction. Many times a week, I, I stop, sometimes before I sin, and go, hey, here it is. Uh, God, I'm looking for satisfaction in this thing. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's not going to satisfy me. There's going to be a point, glorification, where fully satisfied. And again, not, not, not two stars out of ten, where God's going to be like, hey, where's the, uh, where's the box that we put in the complaints? It's going to blow you away. And so, 
whether that's you stopping on the front end before you sin and realizing my heart's dying for some satisfaction in something, sometimes that we just crave food. We used to joke about just seeking comfort food. Um, just, just like we just want some bad food for us right now, and that'll help for like 30 minutes. And we just want to be satisfied. So many, many areas of life. The building from God is satisfied and rest. So this speaks, of, this speaks of this temporary structure. And notice Paul says he's groaning. He's longing for the future resurrected state. We groan. Paul says he's longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. In, in, in Philippians, uh, I love the book of Philippians. It's one of my favorites. And so in there, if you, the famous uh, section there in chapters 1 and 2 where Paul is actually saying, I would rather be dead here on earth and be in the presence of the Lord. But for your sake, God clearly has left me here. And again, in this section, Paul is saying something very similar where he understands he would rather be with the Lord, but God has work for him to do. Hey, we're ambassadors. While we live our lives, you can't just put your hope in that and not try here. And you can't just have apathy and not care. So Paul's saying that, I'm looking forward, I'm groaning, I'm longing to put on the heavenly. But notice this, some people have taken that too far. I just This is a little side note. Some people have taken that too far to mean that our physical bodies don't mean anything. So let me give you another example that you may, you may have not made this connection, I don't know. So um, Christianity, the kind of the Republican right or conservative right. So, so again, remember, so you got liberal over here. And so, you know, maybe they're for the planet, right? Well, Christians uh, through the centuries, like, well, hold it. The, the planet's going to be burned one day, right? The, the planet's going to be burned. The, the sun's going to be burned. It's going to just evaporate, just be destroyed, right? So there's a new heaven, a new earth coming. So we don't have to worry about the planet. So Christians got labeled as the ones not worrying about the planet, right? You, you may not have those under, underpinnings and understand that. So that's kind of what's going on. Conservative liberals and stuff like that. And so liberals, tree huggers, and, and we're for the planet. Christians should be valuing the earth and taking care of it and caring about litter and caring about our planet. We should be leading the way. Why? For God's glory. So you don't have to hate liberals who like the planet. You don't have to go wrap your body around a tree and you don't have to go put up signs and do things, but you, you can care about this beautiful, glorious planet that, that shows your eyes the glory of God, his creativeness. You, you know how to make any, any blades of grass? You know how to make any um, um, little elements in, in science that, that, that are, are a part of his creative beauty? We don't have to be afraid of science as Christians, we don't have to be afraid of enjoying the planet. You should be amazed at God's plan. We should be leading the way. We should be telling liberals, like, no, you should enjoy it even more. You're missing, and, and you know what you're missing? The God who created that. That's what we should be screaming. And, and so a little, same thing, so in the same way we've done with the planet, we've tied ourselves to a political party that wants nothing to do with that, then, then, then the same thing with your body. Hey, Paul's not making a, a doctrinal statement about the body here. In the same way that you know, we've kind of had a wrong view of the planet. No, we can love it for God's glory and enjoy it. Hey, your body, some of us just go, oh, well, it's going to burn anyway, so it doesn't matter. Anyone notice how healthy and plump uh, most pastors are? Uh, I mean, everyone other than me, basically everyone other than me. J just look inside Christianity. I mean, it, it's like a Saturday Night Live skit. I mean, you know, who do they, they have Chris Farley for every time they have someone doing something. And so like, that's the thing. And so we're supposed to take care of our bodies. Now, now do we still go too far? 
Do we have people who go too far? And then it's like they can't even attend church because they're, they're workout regimen and they're doing these things. And so, so you can take it too far and make it an idol, or you can say, oh, the body doesn't even matter. I, it doesn't matter. I, I know it's going to be renewed, so who cares? No, no. It, it's a beautiful thing. God, God doesn't say that. It's, it's just like the old covenant. It's not that it's wasted and stupid and ridiculous. No, it, it's, it's a picture of God's creativity. And so in that, it's not, Paul's not making a statement about our bodies being evil. Now, now we, I, I'm making that culturally relevant for you to think through the body. Um, you can go too far with that. Women, if you're obsessed, or men, if you're obsessed with your looks and always constantly, constantly worried um, about that, or um, if you're over here, you're just like, doesn't matter, going to burn one day, getting a new body, just, just going to fill it up. Um, and so um, if you can go too far with that. But in the same way, I want you to think through what they were thinking. That's our culture. What was Paul dealing with there? Well, he was reminding them of, was the, the remember Platonic thought, dualism? So remember your old classes in philosophy, if you ever, ever had to take those? Um, dualistic thought. So the body, anything physical was evil. Remember that? Physical planet, bodies, evil. What, what was good? The spiritual, right? So remember that? Paul was dealing with that. Corinth was full of that. That philosophy ruled the day. We don't deal with a lot of dualism. Like if you were sitting around at Starbucks and you heard somebody like talking, well, you know, the, 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 the body-mind problem, the problem of the body and the mind. You're like, oh, man, who's, who's talking about that nowadays? And so that's not a big thing. But for their day, that was huge. So this, he was battling this dualistic mindset. So the Greeks believed the highest point for the human soul was to be free from the body. So he's telling these Corinthians, hey, the Greeks, you've been influenced by them. The greatest thing is not being released from your body because they thought that after that you just kind of ceased to exist. And the body was actually like this prison cell. And they knew it was filled with lots of harm. But so they either thought, well, hey, live it up or, or you know, don't worry about it. And he's going, no, no, no. Our bodies are, are temporary but they're still glorifying to God. So use your bodies to glorify God. Um, they consider the body as this prison, but that's not what Paul's point is. He's shattering the popular thought of the day. He says, while we're still in this tent, in verse 4, we groan being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we'd be further clothed. Now, a couple, another thing, a couple other things that he's bringing out here. In Greek thought at the time, this idea of being clothed was this idea of once you die, that, that body is gone, and so you're unclothed. And so that's why he said naked earlier. He was not just getting in kind of weird, like, where did you go here? New Orleans, in the middle of this talk about God? And so he's going, the, the Greek thought, and in the time, that dualistic mindset thought that once you die, it's like being unclothed and naked, and now they really had lots and lots of writings that your soul went around as this unclothed, naked thing, like Jason started out talking about, kind of this thing just floating around in this bubble. And Paul's going, that's not it at all. That's not it at all. So um, here's a couple of things that we need to know. It, not being naked, that we would not be unclothed, but be further clothed. Paul was saying, there's hope. You're, you're going to have a resurrected body that you don't even know about. And so a couple of things that are big, maybe that you've had some confusion about. First of all, not the state of soul sleep. Um, so this was very popular with different religions, even today, back then, definitely with philosophies, then and now. It believes that believers go into a state of waiting a state of unconscious existence, waiting for Jesus to return, and, and so rise from the grave. We're going to talk more about that in a second. We all know in Thessalonians, he talks about, you know, the trumpet's going to sound, and you're going to be raised from the grave. So you're, you're, not, you're, you're not unconsciously just waiting in a, in a long time out. 
Um, so it's not this soul sleep. It's very popular. A lot of people believe this. You may have just kind of assumed this, that like because you, you do believe that there's going to be this resurrected body aspect, your body's going to be changed. We're going to read about that in a second. But it's not that. It's not soul sleep, okay? Um, also, it's not purgatory. Um, this belief, so this is very popular Roman Catholic, it's, it's a major tenet of Roman Catholic belief, that believers go into this holding tank where they kind of pay for sins that, that, that you need to kind of pay off. There's a little bit of some debt remaining, and so you kind of go in this little holding tank, and God makes you suffer a little bit and squeezes out any more punishment. And you can also pray for your grandparents because maybe they've passed away, or your cousins or friends, and, and they've gone to purgatory awaiting heaven, and you can pray for them and hey by the way pass the plate again because if you give a little bit more it speeds up their time in purgatory sound like a good plan yeah it's worked for about 2,000 years Roman Catholic Church that's what they teach so there's these these indulgences that you can give and so um, there's these things that you can do you can pray to Mary you can pray to Peter to, to speed up purgatory for for grandma and grandpa and then finally all their sin now now what does that say about what Jesus did on the cross Good try. Nice swing. Got a double there. You didn't, you didn't make a home run. And so do you see the, the difficulty there? So it's not talking about soul sleep. It's not talking about purgatory because we know that Christ completely did away with your sins, right? Completely forgiven. So no waiting period. Um, so now we have this idea of you've got a soul that's in God's presence so immediately you have a soul that's in the presence of God, a body, a dead body that's buried, okay? If you have any questions, I can draw this on a sheet of paper in like 10, paper, 10, 10 minutes if you get with me afterwards. So, so what happens after death immediately? Psalm 116, which Paul quoted earlier, Paul says this in Psalm 116, 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. Precious, man, when my dad died, I'd never read that scripture. And in the middle of that, watching him go down and everything, he gave me that beautiful thing, like precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. Jamie's brother killed by a drunk driver. I'd shared that scripture with her. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. So on one hand, God going precious, it's, a, it's all right. I, I've got it. I always had it. Before you were an element, before there were atoms, before I created the universe, I, I had this. I'm that faithful. I'm that powerful. I'm that sovereign. It's good in my sight. Even though we grieve, we, when we lose a grandparent, a parent, a family member, we grieve. That, that's normal. That's good. You should grieve. But letting you know that it's precious in the sight of the Lord. Welcome home. Welcome home. What did Jesus say um, to the thief on the cross? You'll be with me today in paradise. Lived his whole life in debauchery, not, not, not living for Jesus, not being a good Christian, not keeping any lists, a whole life in penalty. And he recognizes you're the son of God. Hey, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Not soul sleep. You're going to be buried. You've got to wait two or 3,000 years to the second coming. And, and all these guys are going to write books about this and stuff. You're going to have to wait some time out for that. You're not going into purgatory. Today, you'll, you'll be with me in paradise. Not the body, but your spirit. So, 
And Jesus told the thief on the cross that Paul says in 5.8, to be away from the body, this tent, is to be present with the Lord for the believer. So souls for believers, souls of believers, are immediately in the presence of the Lord. Souls of unbelievers are immediately in eternal punishment. So think through that. Again, if you need a sheet of paper, I can draw this out for you. Um, this is not a popular thing to say or believe in our current culture. So, so death does not have to be a fearful experience for the believer. Although it's very natural to be afraid of fear. So, you know, you're thankful for guardrails. Uh, when you ride rides at the fair, you're thankful that there's a cage or a strap around you, right? Um, so you're, you're, you're thinking through those things. We, we go to the point of taking Tylenol because we don't want pain. All the way down to that level. So it's natural as human. This is all we know. We don't know how great. If God had pain, think through this. If he had showed us a video or had a chapter in the Bible, like here's how great it's actually going to be. I'm going to put into words because I'm smart enough to do that and I can give you understanding on how to do that. I'm going to tell you how great. People would be jumping off the cliff like at four years old, landing on their necks. Like as soon as they heard about how great heaven's going to be, they'd just be like, let's all just end it. I mean, and, and that's what cults do, right? And so um, we're, we're, we would be that type of people. It's like, it's going to be that great. This is miserable. I just lost my job. My wife treats me this way. My kids treat me this way. I hate all these people in the church. Man, let's end it. That's what we'd be doing. And so he's kind of got this buffer, I believe, just like, let's dumb them down. Let's make them a little bit of fear, fearful of death. So that's natural. Don't feel bad about that. It's also a natural thing, even in faith, to be evaluating, considering where you would immediately go after you die. The Puritans were famous for every day considering, is my heart following Christ? So Paul says, this happens so that what is mortal, this mortal body will be swallowed up by life. This is probably alluding to Isaiah 25, 8, where he says, He, God, will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, the Lord has spoken. So some beautiful realities that God's doing. Um, here's how Paul describes this, putting on the imperishable. So the idea of these immortal bodies, imperishable bodies, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I tell you this, brother, I think I've got a slide. Um, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So you're going to have to think through that. I don't know, just to be honest, the eating and bathroom situation in heaven. I, I, I don't know. He's got another plan. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now, he may just be making a general statement. Like, you just got to think through there. Like, man, what's that going to be like? What kind of bodies are these going to be that they, they are not going to experience the things that these bodies experience? And why do our bodies experience it? Because of the reflections of sin. Because everything on this earth has been affected by sin. The way that, that your body wrinkles and gets old and breaks down it is the effects of sin. There's going to be a period when that doesn't have any effect. That's mind-blowing. That sounds crazy. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. You're not going to figure this out. We shall not all sleep, so we're not all going to die physically. Not everyone will. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall all be changed. So what happened with Jesus? Three days in the grave, gets out. People that should have known him real easily didn't even recognize him. Now, part of that scripture alludes that the fact that 
tells us that they were, they were kept, they were hindered from understanding also. There's, a, there's an aspect of the natural, physical, he looked different. I don't know if he didn't have a beard. I like to think of him having a beard. Uh, he may have just had a crew cut. He may have went with a shave job. I don't know. Um, I, I don't know what it was, but he, he looked different physically, but also they were also kind of being hindered from understanding it was him for, for reasons of God. We're going to be changed in the same way. We're going to come out of the grave, resurrected bodies. Don't know what that's going to look like. I can tell you what I'd like for it to look like. And so um, that may not, may not be Sankey's dream. We all will be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on the immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So we, we know this, but you probably haven't thought real deeply about this. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? And so I've told you guys about both me, when my dad passed away and my mom screams and me and Jamie are in my room, been building up and building up. He's in those last days. And so my mom screams like, I don't know why she screamed, like we knew this was coming. And especially when they bring in those last days, they bring in the morphine. Like when the morphine comes, it's, it, you got some, a few hours. So she screams, we ran in there. And so my sisters who both have worked in the, the healthcare area, you know, so my dad's kind of turned a certain way and his legs are all drawn up. And she said, Hey, we need to call the funeral home. And, but we probably need to stretch his body out and pull his body because they have to like break limbs. Sometimes they'll ask you to leave the room to, they have to do stuff to, to straighten them out because rigor mortis set in and stuff like that. And so just like when you're grabbing a hold of this person and trying to, this person that you've loved your whole life and you're stretching them out, you know, man, it stings. You should grieve. You don't take the, the stoic approach of, I'm a Christian. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Good, good thing. No, no, it should hurt. It should hurt. It's wasting away. It's wasting away. He's not there anymore. Now that, that tent, you understand this is, this is perishable. He's face to face. Man, what a beautifully precious in the sight of the Lord is the death when that moment hits. So when you have to take those bodies and stretch them out, Death, where's your sting? Satan, you tried. You tried, but you didn't win. Because Jesus got out of this grave, so now I want to connect this to the resurrection. All that he said there, this is going to happen to you, Corinthians. This is going to happen to you. I want you to see the connection. We know that Jesus' life was wonderful, his righteousness. His death is what paid for our sin. Forgiveness, atonement, right? His resurrection was God saying, hey, devil, guess what? All the angels, all angelic beings, everyone, and especially when you and I rise up, remember my first question, 10 seconds into eternity, new bodies, 10 seconds in, hey, I had the power to do this. My approval is your new body, Corinthians. My approval was Jesus rising from that grave. That was the final reproductive act where God said, justification, sanctification, glorification, it's all here. I did it powerfully. Dead bodies to new bodies. Souls that were dead in trespasses and sins, forgiven, renewed, and, and the resurrection from the dead is God's stamp of approval going. Propitiation of sins, completely finished. I took care of it. Nothing that you could do to take that away. So it's a beautiful thing when you think of the resurrection, a glorious, glorious beauty. No more sin, no death, no headaches, no cancer, no COVID, 
no heart disease, no, no dementia, no betrayal, no adultery, no debauchery, no prideful arrogance, no pretending or hiding or insecurities, no guilt, no shame. Resurrected bodies is God's overwhelming, beautiful evidence of his approval of Christ's atonement for sin and righteousness. That's what Christ's resurrection screams. Death to sins, payment for sins, completely accepted. It's a beautiful thing that just we read imperishable bodies. It's a beautiful thing that he's doing. So sin had done all of that. Do you see this, this, this picture that Paul's painting for them? Sin had done all of this damage and God's saying, but look what I've completed. Sin had caused all of this harm, all of these hurts in your life, but look, I've done this completed work. You had formerly been that in your sins, but I have provided this. You had formerly lived that way, and you had formerly faced wrath, but I have sat you in my face at my table, adopted into my family. Come to the table. Like the picture of the prodigal father, come embracing you. Not standing there, arms folded, foot, you better tell me all you've done wrong. No. Come to my table and eat. Come to my table and enjoy me. I'm what you get in heaven. And so, again, we take all those things for granted. And the Spirit is our guarantee presently as we await that guarantee to be expected. The word in Greek um, uh, would, would be um, what we would understand nowadays as an engagement ring. And so a person that's engaged, um, they're anticipating being married, especially in those days. Remember, a wedding may be like two years off or four years off, right? Or in, in the wedding process was a long, month-long or two-month-long ordeal sometimes. So um, the consummation of that wedding was the final thing, but um, this idea of the Spirit is our guarantee, think through the practical aspects of that. It's not only a waiting time, um, awaiting the full consummation. Practically speaking, this truth is, is very powerful. It's not just kind of a colloquial reminder that the Holy Spirit kind of signed off as a guarantee, but he is doing his work in and through us. He's, he's lovingly reminding you of truth. He's lovingly convicting instead of sending just harsh discipline, hurting your body every time you sin, causing all sorts of pain every time you sin. No, lovingly drawing you back, bringing soft conviction, giving the gift, the ability, enabling you to repent. Oh, I see. I was being lied to and I was being deceived I was falling back in love with that. Oh, that was so wrong. That's what you died for, Christ. You freed me from that. I don't have to live that way. Thank you for that. He, he's doing that. That's him doing that work in the inner being, continuing to transform and enable us to walk in faith and obedience while we're still resting and enjoying Christ. So the Holy Spirit's a guarantee. So you guys remember that, that, that person that was at your closing of your house that signed the signatures with you? They've been helpful ever since, haven't they? That first week, that first month, last four or five years, were they helpful? That's not what, how the Holy Spirit was. You don't even remember what they looked like, right? And so uh, th that's not what this is. He is constantly involved, more than we could give him the credit for. Great thing to be thankful for. And so he who has prepared us for all these things is God, who is completely doing this work, finishing this work. And so as we see at the end here, um, Paul says, be of good courage, because there's this, cut, this, this judgment seat of Christ that's coming. Um, 
We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done, whether good or evil. And so this brings up this idea of this faithful responsibility. Now, Paul switches the theme here from all this grace being poured out, what God has done to now, what's your responsibility as a believer? I want you to be reminded that of all the beauty of that story, all the beauty of that, that he's renewing all things, even giving this renewed body. Now, how are you living your lives? Because he's going to go into this thrust of live your lives for the glory of God. So whether we, we, we are living or whether we've passed away, we're going to be enjoying the Lord. We should be loving the Lord and pleasing him, doing everything we can to please him. So this is not the great white throne of judgment mentioned in Revelation 20. So that's for unbelievers. So this judgment seat of Christ, when he says, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, this is talking about believers. So there's a separate uh, type of judgment. There's judgment for unbelievers, the great white throne of judgment. There's several places that mention it, but Revelation 20, 11 through 15, if you want to go check that out later. But this judgment seat of Christ is for believers. And, and the two things that we're looking at is what you've done while in the body, while in the flesh, what you've done, and then secondly, our motives, whether they're good or evil. We all know that there's some people who are trying to do some good things with really, really poor motives. Even ministries, even churches, even Christian people do things sometimes, deeds, because they want to look really spiritual. They do things to look good. They do things to, to gain money, to gain fame. Um, There's this, do you remember the old German philosophy, the, the zeitgeist? Do you remember that? Zeitgeist was um, that it was, it was a whole kind of spirit um, or kind of a, uh, behaviors and the spirit and the way the culture was in a certain particular um, time and a t time and an era. And so like someone could say, uh, the, this story captured the zeitgeist of the late 60s. It's a defining mood or spirit, ideas and beliefs of a time. Um, the, the, the general intellectual, moral, and cultural climate of an area, uh, of a specific time and place. And so when I think of the zeitgeist of the Bible Belt in our period, um, I think through... Um, this idea of, of this type of judgment, I think there's a lot of people that think that they're believers. They've been to Falls Creek. They, they, they've asked Jesus in their heart many, many times. So if you've grown up in Assembly of God or Baptist or whatever, there's the rededication services, cry night on Thursday at camp. And so, you know, it builds up Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday's cry night and everyone comes in and it's just like, one more stanza. We're going to give it one more stanza. And so I see you on the back row back there holding your girlfriend's hand. You heathens, you come up here. And so all these people have been through these things, the rededications and rebaptisms and all those things. And so there's people that have prayed the prayer, and again, like I've said many times, the, many churches, they give you, here's the three points to have a better financial year, and that's what the sermon's about, but then at the end, they just say, hey, now, pray and repeat this prayer after me. Repair, pray and repeat what prayer? Uh, the three points of how to have a better financial year while, while we're going through COVID? That's what the sermon was about. It wasn't about my heart and where my heart's at with Christ and what Christ has done for us and continually looking and staring at that. It was on how to have a better life here on this, the tent. You made a whole program about the tent, and, and, and then you just said, pray and repeat this after me. I'm terrified because Jesus, if you remember, he said many in Matthew 7, so the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. How many people do you know around you that haven't had anything to do with church? 
that aren't going. People even that maybe come to church. Jesus made it really, really clear and said, many are going to come to me. Many. Not a handful. Many are coming to say, Lord, Lord. Why do they refer to him as Lord, Lord? Jesus is predicting people are going to come to him going, oh, I'm here, the, the throne thing. Hey, yeah, I read about this. Lord, Lord. He's going to say, depart from me. Their, their, their case is, Lord, Lord, I'm calling you Lord. I even, I even have the terms on it. Like, like we, we, we didn't just accept you as Savior, but also Lord. Like, I even know that. Like, I'm calling you Lord. Didn't we do this? Fill in the blank. Didn't we do this? Jesus is saying this. Didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? So what's your list? And he says, depart from me. I, I never knew you. You're never part of me. He said, the gate that leads to destruction, it's wide and easy, wide and easy. And many, the great majority are going down that path. So think of zeitgeist, Bible Belt Christianity. How can we make church so easy, so comfortable, so non-confrontive? We don't even care if you come. Don't worry about coming. Three ways to have a better financial year. Three easy steps to better parenting. Five steps to better marriage. Not talking about the heart of the gospel. Not talking about those things. So let's make it wide and comfortable. Enjoy all these comfortable things, wide and easy, and many, the majority. But you go through the narrow gate. It's very difficult, and only a few make it. So Paul and Jesus are saying here, be aware uh, of judgment. So we're looking at Advent and the second coming. Paul's saying, remember, with your resurrected body, you need to consider, are you a believer? Are you a follower of Christ? And he's talking about, for believers, here's your judgment, what you've done, and then what has motivated you to do that. So here, here's something that, that, that's constantly thinking through. Um, believers in apathy and believers fighting all the wrong fights. So one thing, just believers in apathy just a lack of interest or motivation or concern. Years and years go by. And, and, I, and I know, you're, you're, you see your neighbor and they're, 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 they're working on something. So you, you go over for an hour and help them. That's, that's really, really nice. See, we do some good things. We do some good things. We, we bought them a meal. Years and years go through but not really engaged in the kingdom. No care about the people that God has placed right in front of you. That's why nobody's making disciples. And then on the flip side, you got believers fighting all the wrong fights. So what, what we've seen, what we've been around most is, is that first group, either apathy and they're just living life for this tent, forgetting about the, the imperishable. And then on the other end, you've got people, just legalism, lists, spiritual pride, being right. My Christian rights. Usually it's very self-righteous and, and kind of just honestly angry. Everything's a fighting point. It's black and white. Knowledge points taken too far. Here, here's what the Bible says, and I'm going to make lists beyond what the Bible says because Jesus isn't hard enough on sin. Jesus is too gracious. We've got to make more lists. In both of those, we were at a game the other night. Tons of people sitting here. The person just says to me, and we're sitting down for a little bit, Hey, Sankey, 
Hint, hint, since you're a pastor, without saying that part, hey, Sankey, I got out of having to get the vaccination, and I did it because I'm, I did it on my religious rights. I'm not making a statement about uh, whether on vaccinations. I'm not, it doesn't matter to me whether you get a vaccination or not. I'm not making a statement. It's interesting that all the people turn and look, and now I'm labeled as one of those like, oh, he's a pastor. Do you see what happened there? Oh, he's a pastor. He's got to be the ones who is anti-vax now. And so I'm like, why did she turn to me and go, hey, Pastor Sankey? She's not go to, she doesn't go to our church. At my work, I don't have to do it, and I listed religious rights. So everyone now goes, oh, you're one of those. I'm like, I, you're making statements about me. I, I, and I just looked at her. I didn't know what to do, so I just looked away in half a second. And so why is everything becoming? such a fight to where now even in that group you get awkwardly labeled as something she just assumed that I would be like yes amen sister let's stand up and clap our hands for you way to fight it way to stick it to them I don't care whether you get it or you don't doesn't matter to me but now I'm labeled as that because we made everything a fight and so the two people that we've wondered and it's a Christian school but we've wondered people kind of wonder are they really believers they just looked and looked at each other and just kind of rolled their eyes. Yep, and that's why we don't want anything to do with the church right there. Do you see what happens? We're, we become this angry, self-righteous crowd. Whatever stance you're on. She could have said it the opposite way. Hey, Sinky, I, I made everyone in my workplace go get the shot. It doesn't matter to me on that. The point is we're looked at as, as these angry, self-righteous, we're right. And we're going to be judged for that. We need to stop being weird. We've isolated ourselves off so much, thinking that, oh, to be holy, we have to separate from the world. No, no. as you're among the Gentiles, as you're among the lost people, live this type of holy life. It's not about isolating, separating off, and trying to prove you're right now. And you know what? If you disagree with me, that's even more than I'll separate and, and get off. No. It, thankfully, Jesus didn't do that with the world, right? Thankfully, Jesus, Jesus didn't take that approach. Ambassadors going into the world as ambassadors speaking with the power and the authority of the king, here's his gospel. And it's come to change us. And so we're usually dealing with either apathy or people just fighting all the wrong fights. Ten seconds into eternity, what should you have been living for? So as a believer, we're going to be judged differently. Um, there will be rewards given to those who, are, who did their things for the, the right reason, good gospel deeds with good gospel motives. And those who are uh, in 1 Corinthians, I think it's 13, and uh, no, 1 Corinthians 3, um, 12 through 15, Paul talks about some things are going to be just burned up because you did all this stuff and your motives are wrong. So when the motives aren't there, the right heart all the work, and, and we spend so much time just, just killing ourselves, doing some things that are just, just pointless, fighting the wrong fights. So think through your motives also. For these believers, for, or for you this morning, are you a true believer? Do you understand and know and enjoy and love the true Jesus? If you are a believer, how are you living your life? Is it apathy just on the edge of unbelief where a lot of people may just be going, I don't even know if they're truly a believer. Whereas on the other flip side of legalism and just self-righteousness, both are unloving. Both are not Christ-like. People around you get it. 
You wouldn't fit in at their church. They're not good enough to be around you. If you're a believer, do you, do you need the reminder that this tent is temporary? For the burdens that you're going through or because you're living for the wrong things, you're putting too much value in the tent in this life. Paul says, hey, take courage. We're of good courage. God is renewing all things. You're going to be renewed with new resurrected bodies. It's all for his glory. So take some time as we consider this morning before we do the Lord's Supper. 